Good morning, basketball fans. Welcome to this week's edition of the Small College Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Cottrell. With more than 10 years of NCAA Division I and Division II men's basketball coaching experience, with relationships in college basketball across the nation and across all levels. Every week I work to bring you the only podcast with news, scores, highlights, and insight from men's basketball at the NCAA Division II, NCAA Division III, NAIA, NCCAA, and the USCAA levels. Combined, these levels of college basketball beyond Division I account for nearly 1,200 small colleges and universities across the country. We are here to celebrate their basketball programs, players, coaches, and history together. The Small College Basketball Podcast is a production of smallcollegebasketball.com and founder John McCarthy on a mission to unite all people with a passion for small college basketball. Welcome back, small college basketball fans. Today begins a series over the next seven or eight weeks where we are going to feature coaches from some of the best teams in NCAA Division II, NCAA Division III, and NAIA men's basketball with interviews. This is a really fun time of year. We're heading into the heart of conference play across men's basketball. Uh, many consider this time of year to be the dog days, January, February, with the prospect of conference tournaments, postseason play, and March Madness, all offering a very small glimmer of light at the end of this tunnel that is January and February. Everyone is focused on getting better. Teams and coaches are focused on managing their rest, managing playing time, maintaining academic standing, all while trying to keep pace with the top teams in their respective league, the top teams in each division. And so the next few episodes are going to feature interviews with coaches in the midst of these dog days uh, from some of the top teams over the first half of our small college basketball season. With that said, episode 15, last week's episode featured the founder of small college basketball, John McCarthy. In that episode, we discussed some of the top performances, players, coaches, and programs from the first half of the small college basketball season, many of whom will be featured in upcoming episodes. John and I also discussed the future of small college basketball, the newly announced Small College Basketball Capital Project, as well as the Bevo Francis Award Watch List. You can catch up with all of the first semester happenings on episode 15 of the Small College Basketball Podcast. But without further ado, let's jump into today's episode featuring head coach Donnie Bostwick of Oklahoma Wesleyan University Men's Basketball. He's been there for nine seasons. As of today's recording, Coach Bostwick and Oklahoma Wesleyan are 15-0. They are number four in the NAIA men's basketball coaches top 25. After starting the year ranked number 16 in the coaches preseason poll, they have ripped off 15 straight wins with nine consecutive wins in conference play. The Kansas Collegiate Athletic Conference. Coach Bostwick has more than 230 wins at Oklahoma Wesleyan. He's been named National Coach of the Year on three different occasions, 2009, 2010, and 2013. In the last four seasons, Coach Bostwick has led Oklahoma Wesleyan to four straight NAIA National Tournament Week 16s. Coach Bostwick, Happy New Year. Thank you for joining us on the Small College Basketball Podcast. Chris, it's my pleasure. Uh, thank you a lot for giving me the opportunity today. Oh, you're welcome. It's our pleasure, and uh, we're excited to, to get into this. So first, I, I just want to hit on Oklahoma Wesleyan University, located in Bartlettsville, Oklahoma. You play in the Kansas Collegiate Athletic Conference, which we're going to get into. Uh, but tell the listeners a little bit about your institution, a little bit about your community, and, and your your journey, Coach. Yeah, um, I was uh... – a young man who grew up going to basketball camps. Um, I'm from Pryor, Oklahoma, a small town in northeastern Oklahoma, uh, just about an hour and a half away from Bartlesville and Oklahoma Westland. So I grew up going to camps uh, like at Oklahoma Baptist University, Oklahoma Christian University, uh, NAIA programs, uh, coaches like Dan Hayes and Bob Hoffman, just 
Hall of Fame coaches. And and that that's, you know, where I got uh, probably hooked on small college basketball, seeing the kind of men they were. Uh, I'm a Christian and, and what they stood for um, while uh, providing such a great product of, of basketball at the same time. So growing up, you know, I said, man, I'd love to grow up and coach uh, and do, do similar things to what these guys have. And so uh, I played high school ball, went on to play junior college, went on to play at John Brown University, uh, coached high school for a few years, returned to John Brown University and uh, playing for, uh, you know, I played for uh, another legendary coach, John Sheehy, um, was able to help him for 10 years as an assistant coach, won another national championship in 05. Uh, and then was provided the opportunity to coach at Oklahoma Wesleyan University, uh, my first head coaching job in 2007. And, uh, you know, it's a small college, like, like a lot of people say. Uh, at the time, you know, our numbers were uh, down. We had had a new president, um, and uh, the school was similar to the program. The program had had some good years, but uh, was kind of down. They'd had six straight 20 lost seasons. Um, and you know, I didn't know what, what was going to happen to be honest with you. I know, you know, how to work hard and I, and I had developed a recruiting network for, you know, 10 years of, of assistant coaching, uh, where we recruit, you know, in a five hour, six hour, eight radius, primarily get into Dallas and some of those areas. Um, and God was just good. I mean, the story, my story is one of, of faith and, uh, uh, the opportunity he gave me said he was going to do a, you know, God basically told my wife and I he was going to make something out of nothing. <laughs> so he'd get the glory. And, you know, he did. I mean, we went 120 and 20 the next four years, won a national championship, went 39 consecutive wins without a loss. And only God can do stuff like that. We left for six years down to uh, Southwest Assemblies of God University. And then uh, God gave us the opportunity to return to Oklahoma Wesleyan, which, my wife loved it here. Um, she's a kids pastor in, in a local church here. And, um, so this is my fifth year back. And, and once again, God's provided the players and, and made us look good. <laughs> well, uh, no argument there. Your record speaks for itself. You've done a tremendous job at Oklahoma Wesleyan. And, and one of the questions I had does hit on, you know, your division, your NAIA Division II National Championship, and then going to Southwestern Assemblies of God, uh, you came back to Oklahoma Wesleyan in 2017. And you've been to four straight NAIA Sweet 16s, as we mentioned in the open. So two-part question. First, you know, what makes Oklahoma Wesleyan so special from an athletic standpoint, from a men's basketball standpoint? You know, people talk about cultures, they talk about programs, um, things like that. And, uh, you know, I think each each and every one uh, of, our, of the programs out there, especially in the NEI, uh, have a unique, um, some unique something about them. And, you know, I would I would go into some programs where you're talking about Danny Miles and how he, he developed that the hustling house and uh, another strong, you know, strong believer who you know, has an amazing testimony himself and in, in, in a program like um, uh, Indiana Wesleyan and Greg Tonegal and what he's done there. And I mean, so many of them, you know, are like a Baylor last year or what they've done. Uh, there, there's an element of faith and you can go into like the movie that just, just came out. The, I think the American underdog with Kurt Warner. Uh, there's a faith element that's unique in our program is one of those kind of programs who, you know, we just talk about, Hey, let's go out represent Christ, worship him on the court and play the game that he's given us this gift to play. And, and how can we utilize that to, uh, to give him glory and, and just let everything else fall into place, how it may. And, you know, from my, from my experience, that's, that's been uh, winning just kind of has been a, a part of that. I mean, it's kind of a, uh, it's not even the most important part to be honest with you, but it, it is a part. And for you personally, Coach, you were at uh, Oklahoma Wesleyan, Southwest Assemblies of God. Then you came back. What what were some of the differences for you that you noticed maybe as a coach between your first and second stint at Oklahoma Wesleyan? Okay, so the first time, obviously, they had never made a national tournament. They had come off a rough time. We didn't have a scholarship situation that was very healthy. Um, we were NEIA Division II, so we were looking at it with about two scholarships. 
Um, and, you know, six scholarships at the time was, was the limit. Uh, so we were competing against schools with six and, and teams that had tradition and everything. So to come out, we had two players that, you know, set the tone for us and Steve Briggs and Sadiel Rojas, both that went on to play, have very successful professional careers. Sadiel still playing and doing really, really well in Euro. Uh, those two guys, you know, Steve had won a national championship with me at John Brown uh, and transferred with me over here. Um, so uh, those two players, and then we just had other guys willing to accept their roles. And so we, we weren't, everybody was not expecting what happened in, in 07. So then I would go to Sagu uh, and, you know, play, had, had success there. So we returned back to Oklahoma Wesleyan and, you know, they, they made the tournament at one other time since then, but now everybody kind of expects the success. And I know we're going one division after a year or two. And so the scholarship situation did improve. That was one of the reasons why I was, you know, I was willing to come back because I, I knew that with one division and eight scholarship, you know, we were going to have to have some scholarships to compete and I had a better scholarship situation at SAGU. So, um, this time with everybody expecting it, we, we were in a new conference uh, before we were in the Midlands with uh, Kyle Zozarks and Bellevue. You know, there was three years where we, three of us were in the final uh, eight um, while we were in that league. So that league was mm -hmm. just a powerhouse league. Uh, the KCAC wasn't as strong. They had some limits on their scholarships and things like that. So when I return and we're in the KCAC and now we're going one division, you know, I knew that it may be a different challenge for us because the way the people look from the outside at the KCAC, um, especially going one division. But I had spent 16 years of my life in Division One in EIA, so and we had won, so I wasn't afraid of any EIA Division One. I. I mean, we've we've beat Missouri Southern, we beat Tarleton State, we beat great Division Two programs. So, you know, uh, I, this year alone, you know, really good NEIA programs have beaten NCAA Division One. Uh, the lower level programs. So there's not much of a difference, you know, when it comes to good basketball at the small college level. Um, so at this point, now we have to try to turn it around quickly and get it rolling again. I uh, brought a couple players with me um, and we were able to, you know, we were number one in the country in our second year back and, and had a really, really nice team, but we graduated eight seniors um, from that team two years ago. And, uh, you know, I usually bring in a lot of freshmen and that sort of thing. So uh, build our program primarily on freshmen. So two years ago, probably the, the most impressive thing we've done in a long time was to go and defeat the defending national champions in the first round uh, and start to, to walk on freshmen at the one and two um, and have a really good young team. You know, COVID stopped us that year. We The second round uh, shut down because of COVID. And we were really playing well. So – now that young team is two years later, um, has a core and a really, really strong nucleus. And we've added some pieces to that puzzle. And that's kind of where we're at now. Yeah. And you mentioned COVID stopping your team two years ago. Uh, last year, you went 21 and seven. You were ranked in the top five. Uh, the NCCAA men's basketball poll, you finished in the top 25 of the NAIA coaches poll. You were able to advance to the Sweet 16 for the fourth year in a row. What was last season like? So you've got those players that had already done a year with you, had their season cut short. They're back with you last year. You're navigating the pandemic. What was it like to navigate that season and get to the Sweet 16 for the fourth year in a row? You know, the goal, obviously, you know, is to finish the year playing your best basketball. And last year was unbelievable. Uh, you know, you go into preseason, all of a sudden we, we, we don't we have two straight weeks in our preseason where we, we don't even have our players because we're having to run outside uh, with guys, you know, with mask on because <laughs> we're going through different things. Then we go through the year um, and, and the, the rules start changing. Our league makes a decision that if you only, you know, we have a big league, so we have 24 conference games. And once you reached 14 conference games, then you automatically made the conference tournament. Um, so at that point, you could kind of pick and choose who you wanted to play right. um, or, or games be made up. So we stopped getting our home games. People wouldn't, we're the furthest, you know, in Oklahoma compared to our league in Kansas. And so we're trying to win the conference to get our ticket punched for the national tournament because the number one goal, obviously, is to make the tournament. 
and then play good in, in March. And uh, so it was just a challenge to try to get all that done as the rules kind of continually change. You didn't know what was going to happen week to week. And, and we missed guys just like anybody else. Um, so, you know, going into our first uh, one division national tournament with a regional um, compared, I mean, compared to normally just taking 32 teams, you know, to Kansas City, Branson or Sioux Falls. Uh, now we're going to a regional in Wichita and, and, uh, and we're picking up a couple really good teams, uh, you know, in, in your arc, uh, right. Park and, and uh, USAO. And, and I think, that we, you know, we were not favored again either in those games. And, and I think we just overlook, I think our league gets overlooked still, especially us being a division two league. Um, and so, you know, we played really well, won both games by 30 points and went on to, to the national tournament in Kansas City, you know, a place I love. Obviously, spent some good times and good memories with my family there. And, um, you know, we ran into one of my former players, actually, at uh, Lewis and Clark, mm-hmm. uh, Austin Johnson, who was on our original team here. And, and so we had him and one of my other players uh, that was an assistant coach at SAGU. Um, now and so to to watch those guys, uh, you know, to get beat by Austin's team, who who was a, that good a team? I mean, they'd been there two years prior and had everybody back, and they were just a better team last year, and they they were playing well, and they beat us, beat Sagu, and you know, almost won the national championship. So to have former players go on and do that, I mean, I one of my favorite African proverbs is, uh, I met a man on my journey, and he passed me on the way, and that's just kind of how I, wa- I watched that game and was excited for them, even though we weren't able to win that game. Yeah, and and even as of today, Lewis and Clark State having a great year in NAI basketball. Your team, number four in the country, like we said, but you play in that Kansas College Athletic Conference, and uh, it's a strong conference because, like, when you look at it, Bethel's receiving votes in the top twenty-five. You're in the top twenty-five. Kansas Wesleyan in the top twenty-five. So it's a strong conference. Yeah, I that, feel like the league's changed. The league has changed yeah. since we returned. They reduced restrictions. Okay. They used to have some tuition only restrictions. Okay. Uh, and so now, you know, yeah, I mean, uh, our, our conference was 18 and two against the Sooner Conference. The heart, our top five teams were 18 and two against the Sooner Conference, the Heart of America, and the GPAC um, going into the preseason after wow. preseason. So, uh, our league, even the last five years, the teams that have advanced, whether whether it be Southwestern, Ottawa, uh, Kansas Wesleyan, uh, I mean, Bell, uh, Bethel, uh, Bethel's got one of the top five players in the country, hands down. I mean, they they had Shawnee on the ropes last year right. in the Sweet 16 as well. So, yeah, this this league is no longer uh, a team, you know, a league that people look at and say they're, they're not one of the top, you know. I wouldn't say we're the top league right now, but I think we're definitely in that in that top second tier. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. How do you see the league shaping up this year? I know uh, you've got a couple of big matchups coming coming down the line uh, in two you know about two weeks from now. How do you see how do you see the league shaping up January into February? Kind of the dog days, like we mentioned. Man, it's it's still five teams or so uh, that that are all in the hunt. Uh, right now, as you said, uh, Bethel, uh, they lost three one-possession one, one games. Um, everybody was after them because of what they did last year. And, and, you know, they were able to win all those close games last year. And, and this time they've lost a few early games. Uh, Ottawa's the same way. They've, they've lost all one-possession games. Super talented, you know, one of the top offenses in the country. Uh, Candace Wesleyan added uh, – uh, I don't know if, if I mean a couple of years ago, uh, his brother uh, Jordan Murdoch led the country and scored. Now his his brother June transferred from Friends after being freshman of the year in a conference, and now he's he set out a year, and now he's their point guard. And they got AJ Range. They're really good defensively. Uh, Candace Wesson's by far one of the best teams in the country. Um, then you got Southwestern, super talented, long, athletic, um, very very tough team. Uh, I mean, it, it's it's four or five teams right here that are still, you know, you're going to have to play every night. Um, uh, each one of these guys. I mean, I, I've I've been around a long time, you know, almost 30 years now in NEIA basketball, and uh, it's it, there's great teams everywhere. And I think you know everybody's kind of partial to their league or partial to the, their teams in their area. And, 
and that makes sense. But you go to the national tournament and you prove, you know, year after year that you can win. Uh, but your league plays what prepares you, especially when you have big leagues like the KCAC with, with 24 team, you know, games. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The KCAC is, has proven uh, that it's an improving league year after year. Your next matchup uh, with Kansas Wesleyan, uh, who you defeated earlier in the season, uh, again, about two weeks from now, two and a half weeks from now, could that be the matchup that sets up the, you know, the conference champion? You know, right now, I'm going to be honest with you, we got Ottawa and Southwestern out of the gate here. And, you know, we've played nine conference games, got 15 to go. We do, you know, have a, have a little bit of a lead here. Um, you, you saw what St. Francis, St. Francis has got everybody back from a team that went to the, the Final Four. Tremendous team. Uh, and St. Francis loses four straight games, uh, all close games and, and good competition. Um, you know, you just got to take every game seriously. Uh Everybody's shooting for you. You're going to get their best, their best shot every night. Um, do I think Candace Westland will be, you know, a big game at that time? Without a doubt. You know, we have to go up there this time. Uh, but at the Ottawa game, the Southwestern, we still, we still are in the first round of our conference. So it's a lot of games to be played. Absolutely. And, and let's not get too far ahead. I want to stay in terms of where we're at right now. 15-game winning streak. I have to think a big reason for your success this year, Coach, is your defensive effort. You're holding teams to 36% from the field. You're giving up just 57 points per game. You're in the top five in both categories nationally. So talk about your approach defensively. Um, if, you, if you want to look back in, in 0, 05, 09, 13, um, the one, the one factor that, uh, uh, every time was, was, you know, we, we also offensive rebound. Well, we, we, you know, we hit the threes. We do a lot of things like, you know, the, our program kind of tries to strive for, but the one thing that each one of those years we were able to go farther, uh, was our defensive field goal percentage. And, uh, we led the country at 37, one in 05. I think we were uh, first or second in 09 and defensive field goal percentage, same thing in 13. And almost every one of our final four teams, we were really high in defensive field goal percentage. So the last couple of years, um, we weren't as good defensively in field goal percentage. We were probably in the 25 to 30 range, and, and we kind of would, you know, finish sweet 16. And so one of our goals this year was to give back. Uh, we played Indiana Westland and uh, Bethel last year. Um, and Lewis and Clark, uh, three teams who physically on the defensive end took us out of our game. And I sat there and said, that's what we used to do to people uh, with John Brown at Oklahoma Wesleyan at Sagu. And, you know, we, I, I set uh, the goal for our team and, and our recruiting uh, to get back to that. And, uh, you know, it's been fun to watch these guys play uh, uh, at the level they have um, intensity wise. Um we, we play 10 players. I rotate every three minutes, um, just, just trying to outwork people. Um, I think uh, guys that are willing to, you know, play 20 minutes a game and sacrifice, you know, awards because of that, uh, but, they, but they win and they're, and they're okay with that. Um, that's a very, uh, you know, that's a Christian principle. Um, of just being willing to serve others and not worry about yourself. And, and our guys have completely done that this year in a way that's been pretty unique. And, and that just has transferred over to the defense um, with, with doing little things. Uh, I brought in a point guard as well and our freshman big. Uh, we have two freshmen that are really, really special players that we've added to the equation. And so um, it's just been, it's been fun to watch these guys play so hard. Um, and like I said, play as a unit. And that's, that's a unit as a team. 10, 11, 12 guys at nights uh, coming out. And, and, and people without media timeouts have a hard time maintaining that effort. And you said you sub every three minutes. So one of the things that I was looking at when I did my research for today, you know, you're playing 10 guys, more than 15 minutes per game, three guys average double figures, led by Jaden Litsky. Uh, he's averaging 11 points per game, five rebounds per game, two blocks per game. He's shooting almost 70% from the field. So you have some incredible depth, but at the top, you have some, you have some really good players. Coach, talk for a minute about Jaden Litschke. Okay, his brother was a, a four-year player for me, just graduated. Um, 
And uh, so to have him in our program and, and watch Jaden and see, see what he had, he played at a two A and they won a state championship, but there's a little bit of a, you know, adjustment going from two A high school to, to uh, our level. And so last year he came in and, uh, you know, uh, to, for his, um, I mean, he gets the credit. He put on about 20 pounds of muscle this uh, off season and came back, you know, just ready, uh, you know, and on top of that, adding a point guard that is able to get him the ball at a special level. Um, it, it's, you know, DJ's really good because of, he's working with Jaden and Jaden's really good because he has DJ always causing problems with the defense helping, you know, in the, in the NBA now, the point guard drives, big guy helps, you just lob it up. And when yeah. you have that, you got to have Trent guys rotating. And when you have guys rotating, you have three point shooters open and, you know, adding DJ gave us the opportunity to penetrate at any time in the game where the last year's couple, last two years we've had shooters, but they would just switch everything. And, and they, we didn't have the, the ability to hunt as easy. Um, and so that, that's been a little bit of a weakness for us. And now we've been able to take that weakness away. And, uh, it's been a big part of our success. We look at numbers like this. Um, uh, we look at our conference stats and we say per 40 minutes played, here's where you rank. Right. And okay. Our point guard ranks number one in the conference at seven assists a game. Our backup point guard ranks number two in the conference. It's, it's 6.8 assists a game. So you want to just, while you're out there, be the best player on, you know, on the, on the court or in the conference. And Jaden's, you know, we got guys like Val, our backup five man is number two in the conference in rebounds per minute played. I mean, so here's the problem. People are starting to try to do things like they'll put starters on the back, the second group to try to match our, our backups when they come in and sub, or they're starting to like hold the ball and try to score in the last seven seconds of the shot clock, just to kind of, keep us from wearing them down. I mean, it's, I, it's interesting to see because I started doing this back whenever I knew we had to win five games in six nights in the national tournament without media timeouts. And I figured a bench has got to be there. And I didn't have the scholarship levels to just put five full scholarships out there, but I knew I could put two really, you know, high level players around guys that were willing to play hard. Why, you know, for every second they were given. And so we were able to utilize, kind of a program that had uh, a full team concept. Uh, you know, when we lost it in 2013, um, we were playing Georgetown and we had media timeouts in the championship game because it was televised. And that really hurt our team because they were able to call a timeout right before the, the media timeout, keep their two six nines fresh, and then have a media timeout. And you're sitting over there resting. Yeah. Easily able to play six or seven guys. And it's just a different game uh, than – than what the NCA, you know, tournament or NCA tournament is with, with uh, media timeouts. I mean, back when Nolan Richardson was doing what he did, they didn't have the media timeouts like that. Right. So it's it's the game's changed. And and you also we talked to earlier before the episode, coach, with last season transitioning to this year, you turned six out of your top eight. You returned Caleb Stokes. He was a honorable mention. NAI All-American last year. Right now, he's averaging 11 points per game, four rebounds per game. Again, with your rotation, playing just about 15, 16 minutes a game. Uh, but he's really turned it on in conference play. His numbers in conference are 15 points per game. How has his game developed, uh, Caleb Stokes? How has his game developed coming into this year? What have you been really happy with him so far that you've seen? Yeah, Caleb, I mean, he's, he's one of the top players in the country. He um... – Proved that last year. You know, he led the conference in field goal percentage per minute played scoring. Uh, he was uh, one, of the, one of the top players, uh, you know, prove, proven-wise. Um, and then this year he hurt his ankle, severe ankle sprain, missed almost three, three straight weeks right before our season started in the preseason, uh, came back and then hurt it again. And so he, he played that first stretch on an on a ankle that he was really, really tentative on. Uh, really, you know, had some fear of going in the paint and going up and coming back down on it, things like that. So it's been, you know, I, I kind of – he wasn't shooting the ball. He had no legs because he hadn't practiced. Um, so for his defense, man, he, he just kept plugging. Um, you know, we were bringing him off the bench at that time because of the ankle and, and, and things. So, uh, you know, Brandon Bird stepped up and played with him out 
and it's played incredibly well. I think he's shooting like 68% or something like that, 63% yeah. from the floor. Yeah. Um, and just taking that role. And and Caleb, in those minutes, you're saying he's getting he's getting those stats in in 20 minutes a game or 18 minutes a game. Um, it just speaks volume to him, his willingness to say, you know, hey, just I see we talk about C in three. We used to do four minutes in, in our rotation. That's been something okay. I've done for a long time. But we, we, we scrimmaged a little bit earlier this year, and we had a, a deal where I'm like, I don't think we're quite in shape yet. Let's just go three minutes hard. And it, it balanced out the, the bench play where it wasn't like 26 to 14 or 24 to 16. It was more 22 to 18 on the minutes. And our second group, you know, I'm going to be honest, like they could win a lot of leagues. Yeah. Um, and so it, it allows us to play pretty much uh, 10 guys evenly. And, you know, I don't want to tell them in the last seven minutes, we're going to play to win whoever's playing the best basketball. But until we get to that point, we're just playing hard and enjoying each other and, and worshiping on the court. There, th- that's great. Cause I, a question that I had just written down as a follow-up, like what do you do in the end game? So seven minutes is kind of the barometer for your top five, top six to go in. Yeah. Just by, at that point, I mean, it could be whoever's playing the best. Val- right. Valentin Van Putin had an incredible game the other night uh, against uh, McPherson. No, against friends, excuse me. And, uh, so he was out there in the end. You know, it just depends on which one of those guys has, has had that night. Uh, and defensively, you know, I, you still got to adjust on foul trouble and, and sometimes defensive matchups. Uh, we, do, we keep a defensive chart with deflection, hustle points, wall-ups, charges. Uh, and, like, I have certain guys like Kaz Ammons who's in the starting lineup, and you look at his stats or Austin Poley, and you're like, I don't know. His stats are solid. They're not great, but he's in double figures every night in defensive stats. Right. And if you look at, I've had five national players of the year and four of them were their conference defensive player of the year uh, coming out of high school. And I recruit those guys because people overlook them. Yeah. That's incredible. That's an incredible statistic to point out. And, and your depth, your depth coach is incredible. You're, you're shooting 50% from the field, like 48 and a half, sort of almost 49. So you're shooting like 50% from the field. You've got a guy in, in Dylan Phillip, who's shooting 44% from behind the three point line, Derek Talton is averaging four assists a game. And I want to get into that in just a second, but like the balance of your attack and to be able to play guys at that three minute stretch, what kind of competitive advantage do you think that has not only, not only on the court, but like in the recruiting aspect, because guys know they're going to play. What does that do if you're in recruiting? Yeah. You know, I think that does help, especially I recruit mostly freshmen. Um, They see that, you know, Hey, you started two freshmen last year or uh, your freshmen are coming in and they're getting, 18 minutes, you know, in a, a game coming off the bench, um, you know, that's, that's a real plus for recruiting freshmen. But at the same time, you can flip that and go like, why, you know, I played all my ever game in high school and I paced myself and I got to play 38 minutes, right. uh, this, you know, and I get these stats that look great. Uh, and I mean, I've, I've had players leave and, and guys who led the country in scoring uh, three times that have left, uh, our program um, or been, you know, all conference first team or all American because they want more minutes. Um, and that, you know, we say, okay, go ahead, you know, good luck. Um, yeah. And we've went on to be very successful, even more successful without those guys um, all three times. So, you know, I think that's, that's an interesting thing because like I said, it's in, in a world where you get your own, we, we say this, it's not, it's not what, you know, get what you can get. It's give what you can give yeah. and give all you can and just go on the court, play hard, uh, cheer. We, you know, we say you're going to, um, you're going to do what people cheer for. And when somebody gets an offensive rebound, we cheer for like, it's a 360 dunk. Um, yeah. because we know that wins, uh, offensive rebounding is, is an effort thing. It's anybody can do that. Austin polling, you know, 510, not fast, uh, per minute played uh, guard wise. I'm going to guarantee he's one of the top five rebounders in the country. And how 
He, he anticipates, he goes every time hard. Uh, he, he's just unique in a way that he has, uh, you know, that kind of IQ, uh, got a little left-handed Ginobili kind of thing going too, yeah. but like just a unique player takes charges. He, he scouts, you know, our basketball IQ, you know, our starting lineup, I think our average GPA is 3.8. Um, wow. That's great. And their, their basketball IQ is higher than that. And it's really fun because they love our scouting report. They love watching video and breaking down teams. And uh, they love like pushing each other saying like, man, challenge your shot harder. You, you know, you didn't get your hand up high or you're, it's, you know, get your left hand up instead of your right hand. It's his, he's a right-handed shooter. I mean, little details that most teams don't care about, uh, a missed free throw, you know, people just start backpedaling out of there. Like we're trying to X and, and if somebody gets an offensive rebound on a missed free throw, like, man, that's like, that's awesome. That's big time yeah. where that's not celebrated on ESPN. And so most kids don't care. Yeah. And the one last thing that I want to get into with your style of play, and we mentioned it just a minute ago, assisting the basketball and i have to think this correlates very much to your success to your culture of your program but you guys are in the top three across nai basketball for assists per game you average 20 assists per game um talk about how that approach fits into not just your style of play but your your culture you know we talk about passing the praise um which is, once again, it goes down to our, what we stand for and everything. Um, we're trying to, to point everything to Christ. And so the easiest way to do that as a player is to always make the extra pass, um, try to find the hot hand, uh, you know, enjoy doing that. Uh, whenever I was recruiting Derek Talton uh, on his recruiting visit, it was almost hard to see his talent because as soon as he touched the ball, he just passed it ahead where most point guards want to dribble down, you know, use a ball screen drive, then everybody sees them make the pass or the alley-oop. Well, I had to pull him over and say, hey, I know, you know, I love the lead pass. That's what I want. I want to see that every time. But right now, like, when you get it back, instead of just swinging it or playing, try to go ahead and create some because I want to see what you can do doing that. And that's so not normal. Everybody wants to dribble a ball, you know, because you don't have a five-second call on the bounce. And so it's just dribble, 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 dribble. And – that's, that's so easy to guard. You just load up. Right. And so to, to see guys that uh, make the extra pass, I'll tell you two guys that just blew my mind. I'm going to be honest with you. Caleb Stokes, he is a bucket. Dylan Phillips is a bucket. That's what we just – we call them, you know, they're buckets. Lynch Ramey's a bucket. Um, and we told – you know, last year, those guys struggled getting assists. Um, they didn't look. They didn't see. And so in the offseason, you know, we were – I told you earlier, people were just switching everything and, and not allowing us, you know, we had to drive and, and develop a double team uh, or we didn't have a low post guy who could develop a double team. So we had to run all these sets to get people shots all the time. Um, and once they started switching everything, our, our offense would bog down. So we worked really hard on everybody passing the ball and uh, enforcing double teams. And it started with Caleb because, you know, the ball is going to flow through him. We have a lot of our sets going to him. Uh, and so, He's top 20. I think he's number nine in our league in assists per minute played this year. Uh, that's that's unbelievable for a guy to, to, wow. to develop that quickly and, and, and turn into that. Dylan Phillips, I think, is number 19, which another another guy, like I said, he's a bucket, and, and he can create his own shot anytime he wants. So he doesn't have to do that, and he still you know shoots 48%, 44% from three. But to do that and get other people easier shots and make the extra pass, it's still so much more successful because now he gets easier shots because they can't double him. You know, you look at uh, what um, last year, I mean, it, it was no brainer. Mangus was the best player in the country in my opinion. Right, yeah. Because he was seven assists a game too. Um, Jalen Scott, who we have to beat at Bethel, uh, he had 14 assists against us. I mean, you you can't stop him one-on-one -on -one and you can't double him because now everybody gets open looks They, you know, it, it's really, uh, those are the best players in, in the country. You know, Southwest Southwestern had the national player of the year a couple of years ago, same deal. You, you know, you and he's always on time on target with his pass and developing those guys and helping them learn to do that. Then you add DJ Dalton and, you know, take nothing away from Taylor Miller, who, who is also, like I said, second in the conference in assists per minute played. And now he's able to, you know, he's developed his game 
And so that's just a big, uh, we've had to work on feeding the post because now we got Jaden Litsky in the post and we can drop it in the post. And, and we really haven't had a chance to do that since Josh about four years ago, three years ago. Um, so that's all on the players, their willingness to be unselfish and they're working on their passing skills uh, and celebrating that and giving, giving buckets up because everybody worries about the points when you can just not worry about it and you just worry about winning and having fun and representing Christ, like success happens, you know, and, and that's, that's a lot of fun to, to see. And, and that's all credit to our guys. That's awesome. That is awesome stuff. I mean, sharing the ball is really, uh, is really a great indication of how efficient your offense is, how unselfish you are, but also speaks to the bigger picture of, you know, the bigger picture of your culture and, and coach, we're coming up on about 35 minutes, 40 minutes. So I want to respect your time. I know it's a very, uh, very busy uh, period of the season for you. So I want to just thank you for joining the small college basketball podcast today. And I want to take a moment to acknowledge your service to the game of basketball, specifically small college basketball, your service to student athletes across the world with some of the missions you've been on briefly talk about, some of your missions. I know that's a big part of your life and your culture uh, as a coach. You know, it's just really God's favor. Um, I small town guy. We we didn't. You know, if you're if you're an assistant small college basketball coach, no, <laughs> you're not making a lot of money. So for ten years of my life, uh, after you know coaching high school, um, I'd never seen a palm tree, and I was thirty years old. Um, <laughs> And Branson, you know, nothing wrong with Branson, Missouri, but like, you know, going to the creek and going to the lake and stuff, that, that was our vacation. That was our Disney World, you know, with my family and four kids and getting in minivans and, and driving to Dallas, recruiting, you know, and scouting. We didn't have all the computers and stuff. I didn't even have a, a, a cell phone. And so, you know, I'm, I'm doing all that three to five nights a week. Um, yeah. You know, and people just don't understand now how advantageous, you know, you have huddle, you have synergy, you have all the things to watch. You don't even have to scout and go trade video VHSs with coaches every, every other night um, and go recruit in person. Um, now you can, you know, you can talk to any kid you want any, any, and see every game he played. Um, so, you know, whenever uh, I was 31 years old, an assistant coach at John Brown, we just won national championship in 05. And uh, just to be honest, like uh, a friend of mine uh, uh, got a, had a brain aneurysm uh, it was really frustrating to me. And I was, I was, I was in my office on New Year's day uh, recruiting. I should have been home with my family. And instead I'm recruiting on New Year's day, uh, even after we won a national championship because we were losing players. And um, I get a call and a friend of mine had a brain aneurysm and I just yelled out to God, man, like, why? Like, this doesn't, I, I deserve this. This guy loves you. And, and I felt like God told me to fight. And uh, I'd seen my mom fight on her knees, praying for my dad and her, her dad and her brother. And, uh, I knew, you know, I go to church. I drove a church bus. I was a good guy, but I, I still probably had basketball at number one in my life trying to, you know, be successful, make some money to help my family. And I thought, you know, there was nothing wrong with that, but I'd never fasted. I'd never, you know, really truly fed myself. I just went to church and let the preacher feed me, you know, and that kind of thing. And I just, I went all in and I told God, you know, whenever a coach tells you to get in the game, no player hesitates. And when, when God says, you know, get in a game, I felt like he told me to get in a game. So I got in the game. And, uh, you know, that's whenever we got the Oklahoma Wesleyan job. We took a big risk taking a job that wasn't very successful. I was, I was an assistant coach, and we won. And I probably, I probably interviewed it, you know, or at least interviewed probably 50 places or uh, sent my resume into 100 places and didn't get jobs for 10 years, you know, head coaching jobs. And, so I, got, I took a, a really bad job. And so I took a really uh, big risk, you know, in most people's eyes. And uh, God, God told me, you know, he was going to make something out of nothing. And so at that point, I got a call from a friend of mine uh, that coached. I coached against him in high school. Um, he was actually, uh, his name's Joel Hill, he coached at Miami. And I was at Vanita. Um, and we had to play them. They were number two in the state. And we were like 25 or something. And they beat us in triple overtime in the first round of the district tournament. And I let one in my locker room. And uh, I had just – we had two miscarriages and, and couldn't have kids. And, and we just heard the heartbeat of my son. Um, and 
the other time I went into to hear my heartbeat and neither time baby made it. So I just heard my son's heartbeat. I don't even care if I win a game for the first time in my life. And and I and my team doesn't come in the locker room after the loss. And I walk back out and it was like they're out there praying with with Coach Hill's team. This is not these are public schools. And he was an FCA guy and they're out praying to half court with his team. And we actually got in a loser's bracket in Oklahoma's double elimination in, in 4A or lower till the Elite Eight. Mm-hmm. And we won, we won 10 straight games, went to the to state championship. And Joel Hill, I got the Oklahoma Wesleyan job. He calls me, and he had got out of coaching and started a, a recruiting uh, thing, and, and he brought college, high school t- uh, players over to Hawaii. And he asked me if I want to come over there and uh, be part of his, his, uh, his Hawaii event. So I got to go three straight years and take my wife and kids to Hawaii, uh, which was just God's favor when I first got to Oklahoma Wesleyan. Then uh, I get to Sagu and they do mission trips a lot. And we got to go to Angola, Africa. We were number one in the wow. country in 13. And Angola had won 10 straight African championships. I got an email from, from a guy that actually handles our travel. He used to be an co- assistant coach for the Pistons. And he says, uh, we tried to go pro in October. We're going to honor the Angolan uh, coach who started their program. Uh, and he's like, I try to get the uh, NBA guys that are already playing. NCAA, he's got a closed time period. You're the number one NEIA team. Would you guys come and play our national team? <laughs> and I'm like, they're going to pay our way? <laughs> you know, so I'm like, that's a no-brainer. It's going to cost, like, yeah, they were willing to pay a lot of money to bring us over, which I don't know if you know much about Angola. You know, it's it's not a safe place, uh, yeah. to be honest with you. Uh, you know, a communist won over and – you know, our, our embassy was like, what? And they kept us, you know, safe and, and they were great. It was awesome. It was, I mean, I can tell you some stories you wouldn't even believe that was part of that, but we got to go over and play their t- four top pro teams. And we actually beat their top team who had just beat the Germans and uh, Canada in the world championships. And we beat them on their court, which is just a God thing. Um, we've got to go to the Bhutan and the Himalayas where once again, it's a locked country, uh, Buddhist country, but they, their king likes basketball and he brought us in and we just went around the country <laughs> showing kids basketball camps and stuff. We got to go to the Dominican Republic and go into just former dumps and feed kids and play basketball and love on them. And, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've got to do some amazing adventures with players. We've even went to small town, Colorado, little bitty small town and just spent the week uh, painting like older people's homes uh, doing kids ministry for the kids um, and having a little thing at night. Uh, and, and a good friend of mine, you know, coaches there. And, and you know, I got, we, we went and did that last year. You know, we were supposed to go to um, uh, a communist, excuse me, not a communist country, but a, a full Muslim country, uh, the Maldives, and right. go against their junior national team and, and work with them. But COVID stopped us. So – felt like God was telling me to bring a mission trip to our own town. So we, 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 right in the middle of COVID last two Septembers, uh, we brought, we are messengers. We brought some Christian groups in um, and just did an outdoor safe event. And we had like 1500 people show up. We had hundreds of people set free of fear, anxiety, panic. And, and we, we baptized 40 people in a, in a, fountain <laughs> wow and so i mean that's that's just stuff that that's what life's about and and our players got to be a part of that and experience it and see it um and they're not when you do that you're not the same i mean you just that's what changes lives absolutely absolutely and so i for one uh as a as a fellow coach as a peer many young men uh we're all very appreciative of your efforts. You know, I'm sure you've had such an incredible impact on your student athletes. I'm sure they appreciate all of your efforts, coach. And so now one final question uh, with many thanks for joining us today in the small college basketball podcast as a former high school head coach that you mentioned longtime NAI assistant coach, now a head coach for many years, you've had success at all levels, but what does small college basketball mean to you what makes it so special you know uh we we play for the right reasons um the love of the game uh and you know uh, 
it, it's it's you're not going to be on Sports Center very often. I've had I've had two players in the, in, in, in the Sports Center top ten, so it does happen. <laughs> God does give favor and award, but uh, usually you're out there just playing for the love of the game uh, to get an education to go on and be successful in life, um, be a good dad, be a good father, um, a good husband. Um, and just, you know, the, the people that coach at our level do it because they, they want to pour into kids. I mean, very few coaches that I know are doing it just to climb the ladder to make more money. And so that way they, you know, most of those guys, it's sad. They lose their family along the way somehow, or they, uh, you know, it, it doesn't money, money's never going to buy true joy. Uh, that only comes in, in helping people and loving people and serving. And so, you know, that's just that's what small college basketball is. Well, Coach, thank you so much for your service. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Small College Basketball Podcast. Best of luck going into the future and wrapping up your season, heading into the uh, hopefully into the postseason and continued success. Man, I, Chris, I appreciate you so much for giving me this opportunity. Truly honored. Um, just, just blessed to, uh, you know, in, in the tough times we are living in right now, um, to still be able to, to go out and play a game and, and do this for a living. I always tell people, man, it beats working for a living. It, it sure does. It <laughs> sure does. I'm, uh, I'm getting ready for high school practice myself later on today. So we are, hey. we are very, very lucky. Yeah, you, you are, man. Good luck, Coach. Good luck this year, too, Chris. Thank you. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you for listening to this week's Small College Basketball Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like and subscribe for weekly episodes and interviews devoted to the incredible programs, players, coaches, and history of small college basketball. Please leave a review if you enjoyed listening to this episode and use the links attached to this episode to share the Small College Basketball Podcast. The Small College Basketball Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast episodes. You can follow the Small College Basketball Podcast on Twitter and Facebook. Please visit our website, www.smallcollegebasketball.com.